You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Episode 77, The Great Mouse Detective. Sit, Toby. Welcome, welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Mason Smith, and I'm here with my two amazing, lovely co-hosts for life, Morgan Stradley and Chelsea Robson. BFF, how's it going? (laughs) Oh, man, you guys are great. So, we are the Rotoscopers. This is a show about animation for animation lovers and animation addicts. And uh, we are three friends, and we discuss an animated film in each episode. And we have a lot of laughs. We go on a lot of tangents. We discuss a lot of theories and everything a everything an animation nerd would want to talk about for roughly an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so we love doing what you, we love doing what we do. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. And we hope you stay for a long time because this episode is eight hours long. And you have to commit. Just kidding. Just a kidding. record-breaking moment. We had we so have ro- much to talk about. We should have a rotoscopers lock-in where we just like talk about animation for twelve hours. <laughs> oh just forget our jobs. Just get forget six months our worth of episodes. <laughs> after after twelve hours, we're just gonna be like, you know what? We hate each other now. We're gonna take a, a hiatus for a couple of months. This was a bad idea. <laughs> And then we could start a Kickstarter for bringing the rotoscopers back together, and it'll all just be a money-making scheme. (laughs) Make sure to cut that out. I'm I'm down. starting a new podcast series. We've, we've sort of been doing these this year where we focus our episodes and discussions on a particular theme, and usually it's on a type of character or animal, and we've done dog series where we reviewed animated films all about dogs. We've done about cats and horses, dragons and dinos. What we are starting today is our very first episode in our Mice and Rats series. I'm really excited for this because animation is filled with iconic mice and, of course, rats. Can't forget them, too. And so this is going to be really exciting. I mean, I think one of the most iconic ones that you think of when you think of mice is Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse, of course. He's sort of the old classic, it all started with a mouse. You know, you see it on (laughs) Walt Disney World posters and whatever. (laughs) But so... I don't necessarily know if we're going to be doing a Mickey movie. Maybe we should. Maybe we should do Three Musketeers or something, uh, or a Mickey's Christmas Carol. But we'll get to that when we get to Aww. that. Uh, but until then, we are doing The Great Mouse Detective. What is it about mice and animated films? There's so many of them. I don't know. I think initially with Walt Disney's, you know, the prominence of Mickey Mouse kind of made it very popular. I was watching the making of on the Blu-ray for this, um, The Great Mouse Detective, and Roy E. Disney was giving an interview, and he's like, yeah, just at the studio, we just had a thing about mice. Like, we always come back to it's mice. It's so true. And I think they're just, they're kind of harmless, and they're a way to um, have characters that aren't so human and realistic, maybe that are harder yeah. to draw or maybe harder to connect with. You can just kind of put the same story with mice, and it's a little bit more cartoony, so you can get away with things that you might not otherwise. Yeah. One thing I noticed is that in a lot of Disney animated films, there's not a lot of mice that look like Mickey Mouse. 
like Mickey Mouse looks very different from other Disney mice. In fact, sometimes I I I like forget that Mickey Mouse is in fact a mouse. Do you ever have has that ever happened to you? Yes. Most Maybe of the time. I'm just weird. No, most of the time I forget that he's actually a mouse because he really doesn't I mean, he's so iconic the way he's drawn. It's not what you would I mean, I hate mice. I don't we have a very <laughs> like we have a good thing going on, mice and me. <laughs> I stay away from them and they stay away from me. So yeah. But like Mickey is not a mouse to me. He's a he's a character and he's He's Mickey Mouse, so that's different. I don't know. All right, all right. Well, let's open this book up. Let's open up this uh, rodents thing. If we open it up to all rodents instead of just mice and rats, then we can do the nut job. I mean, hello, just passed $100 million recently. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. I always say, hey, I could work for those guys one day, so I I don't hate on the nut job that much. (laughs) Well, and it's a new studio trying something else. You know, I, I always like to see new players uh, come and sort of disrupt animation or disrupt the marketplace. Uh, a lot yeah. of times they fail, but sometimes they do really well. You know, sometimes they do poorly or marginally. And, uh, you know, seeing the nuts up to, to $100 million is really impressive for the movie because I know so many people just discredit it and just wrote it off without even seeing it. So I thought it was right. actually kind of kind of cute. I mean, it wasn't an amazing movie ever, but. I thought it had some heart, you know. Gotta have that heart. Uh, also, people will people will scoff at Maya Rudolph playing the the pug in that movie, but they'll cheer when Maya Rudolph is in Big Hero Six. Oh yeah, total bias. She's but anyway, that's that's a complete <laughs> right. She is, and that that's a completely different nerdy couch discussion. But that is a good point. Like, um, Nut Job is definitely a a plus for rodents everywhere. Um, <laughs> but what is it about rodents? I think I think it's because rodents as characters are typically the underdog. Like, look at Rats of Nim. Nothing is going well for them, mm-hmm. and you can't help but feel for these filthy rodents. You know, it's I want to know how Chelsea feels. I bet she feels so conflicted. No, and you, you hate rat. You hate mice. You know, I don't. I think anything that is drawn that has you know character appeal is good. But I just I don't like. I don't like them. See, we had we grew up with a snake, and so I see mice as food <laughs> for the snake. Oh, and no. so I don't. I'm all of these people out there are like, oh my gosh, Chelsea, why did you just say that? But it's true. Like it's a circle of life, people. Um, I just, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I just they squirm and they just. Or there, I just don't like them. And then people who have rats for pets, I just think they're disgusting. I'm sorry. I can't. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. That's disgusting, people. <laughs> well, what about the naked mole rat from Kim Possible? <laughs> no. Do you have any pity on him? <laughs> no. And I don't like gerbils. I don't like ferrets. I don't, I don't like these things. What? Ferrets are amazing. <laughs> this ferrets is from chinchillas. Are... Chinchillas are I... cool. I like chinchillas. Oh, you like chinchillas but not ferrets? That just yeah. makes no sense. This okay, is, this is from the girl who has a Doberman pincher as a pet. Okay, yikes! Clearly doesn't have like the uh, the small critters. <laughs> so backwards, Chelsea. Don't you know that mice are friends, not food? <laughs> no, they're they're pretty much food. That's what I fed that snake for the last five years. All right, all right. But what if it's a cute mouse? No. No, they're never a sh- cute. A shrew, maybe? There's These small little things just deserve to not be in my house, specifically. This oh. is the reason why Chelsea is purposely trying to get out of doing the Ratatouille episode, because she it believes is. that rats should not be in her kitchen. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I have a I have a few logic I have a few uh, cleanliness concerns about that movie too, but not obviously not as much as Chelsea. All right, well, well, this will be an interesting episode then. Well, no, but that's you know, the thing. I got rat haters. I love this movie though. Right. See, it may seem a little like two faced, but it's true. Like as okay, like well, I, well, like the- I said before, if they're over there and I'm over here, I'm cool. Like, we're fine. <laughs> so let's transition this right, to right. mice in animation, <laughs> where they're not so creepy-critty. Um, whatever that word means. <laughs> Creepy-crawly. So um, I thought it'd be interesting if we could just list and talk about different mice that have been in animation over the years. Well, so I want to talk about Angry Beaver sometime. <laughs> For another day. That's all right. Mice are cool. For our beaver nerdy couch discussion. <laughs> that way I can talk about the beaver from Lady and the Tramp. That's the only beaver I know. <laughs> well, this oh, is yeah. worth well. <laughs> oh, no, there's a, there's a, isn't gopher, well, gopher's a gopher. Gopher's a gopher. Yes. Okay. So for mice, we obviously we mentioned the most iconic animated ma- mouse, which is Mickey Mouse. <laughs> then I think, obviously, there's Jerry Mouse from Tom and Jerry, which uh, you know, very famous cat and mouse pair. Itchy and Scratchy is another one. Uh, Mighty Mouse. There were a lot of these mice back in the early days of animation that were sort of always there. Uh, Mortimer Mouse. That's sort of a, an old, old school oh, yeah. baddie for the Mickey Mouse. He, he's like always uh, well, he fighting for Minnie's attention. Yeah, I mean, he's old school. Like mm-hmm. he's right up. He's right, right back there with Oswald. Not, not quite, but. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, here's here's a little WB mouse. Uh, there's brain. Same thing we do every night. Pinky. The good one. Such a great show. I'm so glad he got his own TV show. So worth it. Yeah. Hey, didn't didn't Jerry talk after a while in Tom and Jerry? Like he talked, but his one line was voiced by Sean Connery, and it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, Tom. <laughs> Let's never fight again. <laughs> <laughs> So another mouse, obviously, is Mrs. Uh, Brisby from The Secret of Nim. That's a movie that we're going to be talking about. She's um, a little bit more of a serious character, definitely. Um, Then there's Bianca and um, what's his name? Miss Bianca. What's the guy's name? Bernard. uh, George. Bernard. Bernard Bernard and Bianca from The Rescuers. And then there's the, what's the one mouse from The Rescuers? The Aussie one? Yeah. Like the sassy one. He's not on the list. Which one? The the like Australian mouse. He's like oh. a field mouse, kind of. He's, uh, he's a kangaroo rat, kangaroo mouse. Ah, uh, yes. Um, uh, that's probably why we just count. What is like what is Alex he? or? We're bad Disney fans. IMDb.com. Australian mouse and rescuers down under. Jake. Jake. There you go. A uh, Jake. Yeah, Jake. Um. Okay. So if we're going with rats, obviously there's Remy from Ratatouille. Uh, Roddy St. James from uh-huh. Washed Away. Uh, Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, a good Splinter! One. <laughs> I feel that yeah. you uh, have opinions about this. Ooh, 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 ooh. Splinter's great. He's a radical rat. Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective. I think he's he's awesome because he's the hulking. And he keeps pretending time. that he's not uh, a rat. He, he, yeah, he... He's, you can tell he's a beastly character, but he puts on this air of sophistication and coolness until the very end, and it's, it's this really cool reveal, you know? Mm-hmm. What oh, did you the, call me? Oh, there's the rat that, um, 
<laughs> oh, you've gone and upset me. Um... Uh, oh, it's the, the there's the little field mouse that Scar kills at the beginning of Lion King. <laughs> now Lord we're really getting him. granular. <laughs> yeah, Lord bless and keep him, the little guy. Any mouse we've ever seen. Um, there's Jock and Gus and the other random helper mice from Cinderella. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy Q Mouse from Dumbo. Dormouse from um, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, there's a uh, Roquefort. From uh, Aristocats. Yes. So he's the catnapper. A.K.A. Woody the Pooh. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh, there's a, there's the mouse who runs the church. Briar Tuck, I don't think anyone is coming. Oh, Aww, that one's so and sweet. Then, and then little sister, no one can give more than that. <laughs> is Stitch a mouse? No, he's like a hybrid everything. <laughs> yeah, he's like an alien dude. Yeah. There's this whole movie's filled with mice. I mean, you oh. can name like every character in The Great Mouse Detective. I think there were mice in Valiant. Do you remember that? I um, never Disney saw movie? it. That'd be like a birds episode. I'm pretty sure we have birds it. Of, oh, birds Marissa has it somewhere. You would. No, of course we do. <laughs> I'm pretty positive we have that one. So, you know, kind of to wrap this up, I guess mice are important in animation, especially Disney movies in particular. And I think since they were so prevalent in Cinderella and Mickey Mouse and even some of these other uh, later Disney movies, I think others sort of followed along. They saw that Tom and Jerry was popular. They just saw that, you know, mice work. So we're just going to keep going with it. And that's why I think we eventually see The Secret of Nim and American Tale and and so many other movies where mice are are central. Um, I'd be surprised if we saw mice nowadays. It doesn't. It seems like they've sort of fallen out of style. What do you guys think? Well, the, uh, with again with the nut job, who is uh, who's the name of uh, of Surly's rat mouse friend who doesn't talk until the very end? Not Sean Connery though. I don't know the name. Um, people, even Brad Bird on Twitter was was expressing disgust and how close he looked to Remy. Which I I'm sorry, Brad Bird, I have to disagree. But there was like a fuss there, so maybe like the design of mice is kind of like become not as original and as imaginative. So maybe they are like phasing out. Mm-hmm. Well, how many you know? times can you redraw that sucker? They don't really change over time. You are not. <laughs> well, I, I don't see. I guess not. I don't. No. I don't. I don't. Think, I didn't think you looked a, a thing like <laughs> Okay, cool. So let's go into our main discussion. From Walt Disney Home Video, it's adventure. We've got a moment to lose. It's excitement. And it's coming your way. It's the Great Mouse Detective. Smile, everyone. He's Basil of Baker Street. Amazing. And he's teaming up with Toby, Dawson. And little Olivia to take on Ratigan, the world's biggest rat. What did you call me? You're a slimy, contemptible sewer rat. You're invited to join the fun with Walt Disney's classic, The Great Mouse Detective. So speaking of mice, this is this film is all about mice. Well, there's one lizard. Ah, yes. I like the lizard dude. And one Bill? rat. And one bat. <laughs> oh, and yeah, one... Oh, and one cat. Bat. And a dog. There's a bat and a cat and a rat. <laughs> basically... And a partridge and a pear tree. Yeah. Basically, Basil of Baker Street. It's basically Sherlock Holmes in mouse form. Yeah, move aside, Benedict Cumberbatch or whatever your name is. We've got Basil here. This is like 80, 86, mid-80s. Yeah. 
Yeah, so 1986, so that was that weird Xerox era, you know, like 101 Dalmatians stuff. Um, It was a fabulous year. Don't be knocking 1986. Fabulous? Okay. Fabulous year. This this one did pretty good, didn't it? Not really, actually. I mean, Let it me, was oh. beat out by American Tale. Oh, well, that's Don Bluth, I mean. Well, yeah, right. but, but overall, I mean, it was, overall, it, it did, it was considered a marginal success. It had a $14 million budget. Originally cut from 24 million because Eisner came in. Uh, this was kind of one of the movies during the transition, um, where ah, the old the CEO, yeah, the old CEO kind of put a stamp approval on this, and then Eisner came in and then he slashed the budget, said no, you can do this cheaper, um, and so then they sort of just Slash. made it work, and it ended up making probably about like triple uh, its budget with $38.6 million. And it was not, like Chelsea said, the biggest movie of the year. It was beat out by American Tale. But nonetheless, it wasn't a flop, and it sort of perpetuated Disney into reinvigorating the animation department and sort of putting faith in animation again. So for me, I think this is a success. Right. And Black Cauldron was before it, right? And we all know how that went. Ooh. Beheaded. Ooh. Yeah. So this is definitely not, well, I mean, this is kind of an obscure Disney film, like not as much as like freaking Valiant, but it's like you love it or you hate it and you like know a lot about it or you don't, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of kids these days would probably pass it by for Frozen or like something from the Renaissance. But if you didn't have these films, then you wouldn't have the Renaissance. So there's that. I just have so many good feelings with this movie. I'm watching it and I just think there's just so many good things with it. And definitely you can't take anything away from, like, the score that's with it. The score was done by Henry Mancini, who is often cited as one of the greatest composers in the history of film. This guy has done a lot. Like, he did the Pink Panther theme song. Uh, he did. That good. <laughs> like, you know, it stuck around a little bit. Um, they did Moon River. And I just, I'm looking through his Wikipedia here and I'm like, dang, you've done a lot. And theme for Charlie's Angels. I mean, seriously. And he ended up dying. Um, just not a couple years after he did this film. So he ended up, he died in 1994 and this was in 90 or in 86. So a little less than, you know, just about eight years later. So at the end of his career, but I mean, so good. My first memory of this movie, it came out in 1986. I was born in 1986. So obviously I did not catch this one in theaters. However, I do have a very fond memory of when it was finally released on VHS in 1992. That was the first time it was released. And I remember very vividly being at the grocery store and wanting this movie. Obviously, I'd probably seen commercial after commercial for it. Um, you know, we, we bought it at the grocery store. And then I specifically remember my mom or dad putting it on top of the refrigerator, sort of as like, this is a reward if you do, you know, yada, yada, yada. Oh. So... <laughs> Um, Preemptive strike. Yeah, I I think I remember seeing it either that night or the next day, but it was like, oh no, I just want to see this movie because I hadn't seen it before. Like this, I was only excited for the preview. You know, it's not like I saw it at the theater and I have to own it. it was, and um, it was a good purchase. I watched this movie many many times in my childhood. I definitely enjoyed The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> this was actually one of the very first movies that got put on Netflix, and I remember I was like, sweet. Disney movies on Netflix, and it was your mass detective, so it made me happy. You know the the Netflix version looks pretty good, but it, it's still from that weird Xerox era where like every all the lines are still really thick and like kind of rough, especially mm-hmm. Radigan. Like when you get close up on him. Yeah, I wouldn't say that about the DVD. I don't know. I felt like on the the sorry on the Blu-ray, 
on the Blu-ray, they definitely heavily cleaned up the lines. Where It was still pretty, and it looked good. I was like, wow. Um, I definitely don't remember this on my VHS tape, but there wasn't, like, the, the total sketchiness that you got no. with, um, you know, you know, the Jungle Book or Robin Hood. But I don't think it was intended right. to be as sketchy. But it was definitely very cleaned up in the Blu-ray. So, you know, I, I really like the beginning of the film because it's very, like, Disney noir. Very, like, you know, Dick Tracy, you know, it's a dark and stormy night in Chicago and blah, blah, blah. Dame comes into my office. Except it's br- translate everything I just said into British. And, but have you ever noticed that the whole film takes place in a single night? I never actually noticed that. Is there that. a time vortex that we're missing here? You so know, th- this could actually be a time vortex moment because there's so much things that happen in the film for there to not be a time vortex. Like yeah. <laughs> looping them back, either looping them back to the beginning of the night or just freezing them in time. Either that or, Rat- or Radican really is the world's greatest criminal mind where he had everything planned out perfectly because if for one he night was smart, only- <laughs> he would have kidnapped Flavisham weeks in advance. Advanced, but he does it the night before, and that same night they steal the gears that go inside, you know, the, the makings of the fake queen, and then he has to figure out how to make a like a actual working replica of the queen, and and then also break into the part the jubilee. That was my first uh, instance of learning what the word jubilee meant, and then <laughs> trying to take over the crown all in one night. It's a oh, bit unrealistic, and so I forget. do think that a vortex is involved. Don't forget, he also had to concoct a plan to be able to capture Mr. Basil at Baker Street, complete with hoisting an anvil, setting up an axe, plus a gun, plus a camera, and recording a song. And a crossbow. And a crossbow, yeah. Well, he could have prepared those months in advance and just had it ready. True. I love the song, though. Man, that's such a great song. (laughs) I love the song that he (laughs) sings. So great. Okay, so the prologue is like dark and scary. You know, it zooms in, you know, London, 18 something, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fidget, fidget just makes it so scary because it's very like, it's very suspenseful. Like mm-hmm. it just has his peg leg and he's like, <laughs> you know, up to the up to the thing. And they're all happy and having a good time. You know, on the, on he's like knocking on the door or, or trying to break the door down. And then like, boom, he's just like, Fidget has a lot of jump scares. He just it, he just gets in the camera and and scares the crap out of people. He's also voiced by the guy who was the Indian chief in Japan. You know how? Really? I never flying eagle. Yeah, same guy. He, they had to speed up his voice, the pitch of his voice, for this movie. Huh? Is that yep. true? Yep. Uh, it's true. No, I saw it on the internet. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you do throw things IMDb. in there. <laughs> I do, I, I do. I'm not being sarcastic or funny on this. <laughs> yeah, they really did um, crank up the pitch on his voice. Makes sense. Cool. Interesting. I mean, they yeah. So I don't know about you, Chelsea. I'm sure Mason, this is answer is a no, but I really wanted one of those toys that turns into a flower too. and it yes. turns into a dancing bell and, and it just like dances around so perfectly. I always I'm like, Mom, can I have that toy? She's like, No, honey, we can't have that toy. I don't think that exists, but <laughs> honey, mommy amazing. is losing her patience. <laughs> no, I always wanted that toy, and then she was so pretty, and then it made me so sad when he like crushes it and like her head like springs off, and I'm like, Oh, yeah, you ruined it. I know, but it was my moment of like I I wanted that toy. Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't want it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, creepy uh, creepy prologue, and I love a Disney 
with a prologue. I just finished watching a little bit of Hunchback of Notre Dame today again, mm-hmm. and the prologue is just brilliant. But I, I love Disney films that have like suspenseful, exciting prologue that just kind of lay out the rules, like the you know what's going on. And then it breaks know? into the main theme song, which is you know iconic and fun. You know what I love is that um, have you ever noticed that Disney films like take Robin Hood for example that that animal is Robin Hood. But in The Great Mouse Detective, you don't have Watson, you have Dawson, but he's virtually Watson. And then you don't have Sherlock Holmes, you have Basil of Baker Street, but he is Sherlock Holmes. So they kind of have this parallel, and to make it even more obvious, the the real, quote-unquote, animated Sherlock Holmes and Watson um, are there too. In fact, I think Basil has his office or his, like, dwelling underneath the office of Sherlock Holmes. And you overhear the two talking in the film. So I just think it's weird that they have, like, these, like, parallel identities along with the real characters. It always weirded me out because it's like, okay, if all of this is happening as a mirrored reality to that of the humans, what if this is as bad as Ratigan got? I wonder what the villain of the human world did. Oh, Moriarty? Yeah. He's bad. (laughs) Bad. Bad, 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 bad. I think that I think that Radigan play is he's a good Moriarty to Moriarty to Basil's Sherlock. Because mm-hmm. yeah. all the Moriarty's I I've seen, which is like two in the in the various Sherlock you know series and franchise that there are, uh, Moriarty uh, he's like Bane on Batman. He's just as smart and he's just as resourceful, but he also has that that added physical prowess mm-hmm. that makes him even more threatening. Yeah. But I love this movie because it takes it even further and you get this monstrous transformation at the end, which is super cool. <laughs> and it, isn't Olivia adorable? She finds herself an orphan and there's oh nothing gosh. more sad and pathetic. There's nothing to really crank up that pathos than a tiny little orphan mouse. You cannot help but feel pity except unless you're Chelsea. She already doesn't have a mother. Now her father's getting taken away. And okay, I really love the voice actress on her. She's so cute. Oh, she's great. She's got that little... um. Got a little Irish accent. Mm-hmm. So brilliant. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting? I was reading up about this. Originally, Olivia was supposed to be older, um, and she was supposed to be sort of a love interest for Basil. Um, Ooh, hello. Yeah, which I'm thinking about. I'm like, that wow. house comes in at the end. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's the thing. I, I they realize no, that's not going to work out. You know, we feel we feel for her more if she's a little girl who's alone and helpless. But then you know they set this movie up perfectly for a a sequel with the girl with the the you know jewel that's missing, and sh- that girl oh, could yeah. be a potential uh, you know wife. I always, I always uh, thought that she she's, was. She's a culprit. No, when I was younger, I always thought that she was the "let me be good to you" girl coming to see him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, all the women mice, except for the barmaid, they all sort of look the same. Wait. Uh, Let's discuss the, the uh, sequel at the end of this. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, it doesn't exist we that we want to talk. exist. Dude, we're going to speculate the heck out of that. You know, Basil, he's kind of very eccentric, obviously, because it's Sherlock Holmes. But, like, he does a lot of chemistry. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of, like, forensics. Yeah, I, advanced I love that he's he he's just this resourceful, smart, you know, hero that uses his brain. Um, this movie introduced me also to the idea that you can detect a bullet, what gun it came from, by matching up, I guess, the... I don't even know what they're called, just the, the lines on, on the bullet. Yeah, I yeah, didn't know ballistics. about that. So now I do, but I just, I love just how, 
how simple and effortless it comes to him. He's so educated. He's so smart. He's been everywhere. He just says, you know, the very first moment where he meets Dawson, he can tell that he's a doctor and he, he used a Lambert stitch, you know, only a surgeon would use. And, and then the thread came from a certain province and wow, that's amazing. Where he served his tour of duty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elementary, my dear Dawson. But, uh, you know, despite all his brilliance, Basil is, he's a really grumpy fellow at the beginning. And he's also kind of socially challenged when it comes to children. Mm-hmm. And he does the, does the old gag where he can't remember um, Olivia's name. <laughs> I'm really glad. Yeah. I'm really glad Dawson was there to kind of bring a little love into the film because automatically he, you know, being a doctor and being, you know, the the round rat character <laughs> of the film, you, you know what I mean, shape language and all. Right. He's more happy and he, you know, he supplies that love for Olivia. So I'm glad he's there. Plus, he can't have basketball without Dawson. You can't have Holmes without Watson. I like that Dawson is sort of this, this initially... Um, he doesn't want to come along for the ride, but he's sort of like pushed right. into it. And then they became, they become partners at the end and they're actually quite a good duo. Um, so this is kind of like our, our introductory movie. If we were to see more of them, like how the duo formed, how they started, you know, the ups and downs that they had and ultimately how they became together. But with Basil, you know, as I was watching it this time, I realized, man, he is such an emotional roller coaster. He, he's almost unstable in the fact that he's up. And he's down. And when he's up, he's super up. And when he's Mm -hmm. down, he's super down. And you flip a light switch and he's up. And you flip another one, he's down. Like at the drop of a hat, his emotions change, Um, which is is hard to take in because, you know, he runs in. He's he's dressed like this, uh, you know, sort of an Asian mouse. And and he thinks that he has it and he does all the experiments. And then, no, you know, and then he's down. And he slumps into his chair and doesn't want to talk. Plays his violin. Yep. Shakily plays the little melancholy tune on the violin. (laughs) But then, you know, immediately when she says, you know, bat with a peg leg and broken wing, he's back up. Right. It makes for for good character and and a movie. But could you imagine living with this guy? That poor lady. I feel so sorry for her. First off, I mean, you look at that house. I mean, she's supposed to be the maid. Oh, man, what a lost cause. That's never going to happen. <laughs> and, yeah, she just has to deal with that every single day. I would be really stressed out all the time. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. Well, Basil has reason to be frustrated because he is trying to tr- he's been tracking down his nemesis for years. And now he has his one lead to the one and only Professor Rattigan. There's no crime he wouldn't commit, no depravity he wouldn't undertake. Voiced by the brilliant Vincent Price. Yeah, I thought it was strange that he has a portrait of his arch nemesis on his mantle. You know, usually that's where grandma goes, the family portrait, a <laughs> mirror. But no, it's Radigan. And I I get it, I guess. But that's kind of weird. I, I understand having like maybe a picture in a file somewhere so you know what he looks like. But having him stare down at you, it's just like another symbolic reminder of how much bigger uh, Radigan is than uh, Basil. He's a better criminal. He always outwits him. He's always on Ooh. top of him, sort of like taking Ooh. the next move. And he's literally taller than him. And just kind of like how his painting is looking down at Basil, uh, staring down. He's always there watching him in one way, shape or form. I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, the little eyeballs were cut out and it was a, you know, someone could look back there and report back to Radigan. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you know what? I, I like Radigan. I think he, I think Radigan fares pretty well in the spectrum of, like, Disney villains. I like him better than Zigzag, because this was a, about the same time he recorded for um, 
Thief and the Cobbler. That's probably a difference in writing than anything else. I just think Radigan's a lot more interesting. For sure. He's, not, he's so crazy. Like, he's clearly insane. Like, Chelsea was talking about that that uh, scene where he crushes the the dancing toy and mm-hmm. um, at first he's like he's like scolding him and then like if you if you go on like Disney screen caps you can watch it play out but he's like scolding him and then he's like hate for something horrible to happen and then he gets angry because he's frustrated with the lack of progress crushes him and then he like has this like mawkish like mocking a sad face and then he like yells at at Flavorsham so his like He's bipolar too, except he's more manipulative about it. Like he shows his emotions to 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 get an effect out of people. Ah, uh, the yin to the yang. Yep. Yeah, yin yang clan ain't nothing to f with. Anyway, um, so he's so crazy, and I think he, like I said before, he he's a perfect Moriarty character. I agree. Do you agree? Would you agree that his villain song though is one of the weaker of of the Disney villain oh, songs? I love his song. I think his song is, I awesome. love it too. Like, the rest fall behind. This is one of the songs that I would never skip on my Disney playlist. Really? <laughs> never. Even, even I would the, always listen to this one. Are you kidding me? Even he, the he's slow prancing heart around part. like better than the prancer size lady, and then he just busts <laughs> off into this slow, like melancholy interlude where he's playing a harp. I know what? he goes he I goes right it. into um he goes right into uh oh what's the cat on the Aristocats where she starts playing that <laughs> and blow a little song <laughs> into the tube. <laughs> <laughs> Radigan's like playing and then Thomas O'Malley's in the background, let's take it to another key. <laughs> <laughs> the like other how... cats will all commence. I'm just kidding. I love how in actually in the in the blocking of this scene they have a harp just kind of like tucked away in there already and um, first off i mean you look at his hideout there there's way too much pink in this hideout to be like normal it's just like what's going on here especially because all of his people are like the sewer rats and yet he's like got this pink throne and capes and all of these fun things and like man yeah, well. boy goes all out and then you got the harp there so obviously he's classically trained somewhere he's a professor somewhere i mean i love this character he does so i really want to know more about him like where what is his background what is this guy doing with his life like who what brought him to this Oh well, well, who was the um? I, I I have an idea. Here's a Disney theory for you. Who was um? Who was the dark wizard that Dumbledore defeated? Voldemort. What was his name? No. Oh, Grindelwald. Dumbledore didn't kill Grindelwald. <laughs> Maybe it's a Dumbledore Grindelwald situation. <laughs> Possibly. Disney theory. Take it or leave it. You know, I think that I, Disney, I didn't consider all the pink decor until just now. I think Disney did wrong in doing the Maleficent prequel backstory. They really should have gone with Radigan. Can you imagine yeah. coming to you in 2017, Radigan? And we get to know about know, his backstory, how he turned evil. Because you mean, know that Radigan and Basil were in college together. Well, they totally you, were. You knew, you knew they were. You know they were roommates. Well, possibly. It's interesting. When I was watching the making of, the directors were talking about how, like, we document everything about these characters, like how Radican turned evil, you know, what led him to go down this path. The same with Basil. I'm like, what? What? Why isn't this published somewhere? We yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is this not on the, like, extended scenes and I mean, background? The, and- this movie is based on a book, so maybe we can just do ourselves a favor and read the books, and maybe we'll get some insight, but... 
I'm still working on Hunchback. That thing's 40 hours long. <laughs> Good gravy. <laughs> anyway, um, I got that stuck in my head ever since I watched it a few weeks ago. Anyway, random trivia. Okay, so we, we talked about the lizard. His name is Bill, the lizard, apparently. There's a whole Disney uh, Wikia page devoted to just Bill because, uh, you know, he's one of Radigan's henchmen. You know, he stands out because he looks like the, oh, who's the mascot for Smacks, that cereal, you know? He, he's like that guy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, even the frogs and the princess and the frog kind of look like him, at least the faces. He's more anthropomorphic or whatever. So Bill apparently first appeared in Alice in Wonderland, which I have not seen. I still need to knock that one out. And there are actual theories on the Wikipedia page about how he ended up in London. For example, um, because Alice, um, he's sent to investigate the noise in the house that Alice is in because she keeps getting bigger. Spoiler alert. And she gets so big that she she just flings him out of the house. And you never see him again. So the, the Wikia page theorizes that he was somehow transported out of Neverland, uh, out of um, Wonderland, sorry, Wonderland, and he somehow end landed in London because Disney fans just have to make everything connect. Well, they're Alice so did adamant it. about it. Why couldn't he have yeah. just been tucked into Alice's pocket somewhere and came back with her? And that's weird. how she transported. He transported. All right. Well, well. So he made a, a made a life for himself as <laughs> and threw it all away as Radikin's henchman. No, this is part of the backstory. You see. He got, he was so down on his luck that he had to somehow join the gang to be able to pull himself out, but he just got sucked in more and more. And then somebody put a poison in his drink and that's how he oh. kept going. Like he was like, nope, I can't. And then he did something really bad, like probably at a poker night or something. And they're just like, uh, uh-uh, I've got this blackmail on you. And so he's stuck. He's Holy stuck cow, due Chelsea. to blackmail. That's deep. <laughs> I just came up with that just now. Someone should write a fanfic. And and all and I'll I'll, all about I'll speak, Bill, I'll, the speak all the, I'll do all the all the lines. I'll speak all the Radigan parts. Okay. Oh my, you've gone and upset me. Oh, and and then he does get upset in the middle of his song. Here number one rule of Disney villain songs, you do not you do not interrupt the villain song, and then if you're going to interrupt, you sure as heck can't should not insult the villain that's singing about himself. Yeah, with the number like one poor, thing that they are hung up on. Oh, Bartholomew. <laughs> yeah. The world's greatest rat. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's like, you know how villains never want to be called what they really are? You know? The Dark Knight, the Joker does not want to be called a freak. He starts killing people when you do. You know? And, uh, well, well that, ends, really think- that ends my list. That's the only one that <laughs> But they, they, they do. I mean, in real life, nobody likes to be called out on their freakiness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you have a giant but- hump. You're hideously looking. <laughs> Let's call you Hunchback. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> or Quasimodo, you which are- means, uh, what does it translate? Half formed. Half formed. You are deformed. I am deformed. <laughs> Ugly and I am ugly. That's such so so hard to watch. Uh, my <laughs> brothers do a duet of that song. That is amazing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. That is like a Burt Gold standard at our house. Oh my gosh! How much do I have to pay you to get a recording of that? I will do my best you. for the next family Christmas to get a recording of that. That needs to what go is this, a on the Rotoscopers YouTube right there. <laughs> so needs to go. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> we gotta do a hunchback 
show. I'm on a hunchback kick. Oh, yeah. Anyway. We'll, we'll definitely be doing that. But I still have to finish the book, so it'll be another 37 hours. Okay. Just watch the Disney movie. They're always exactly <laughs> like the books. Exactly. I mean, look at Frozen. Okay. So he's got a... Okay, so danger is looming for Bartholomew. His his time is ticking. And we hear the... Oh, yeah. And then the, the ominous... The little bells followed by oh. the big stomps. Yeah, it's, it's like almost Jurassic like Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic Park is coming <laughs> at you. <laughs> everyone's everyone's champagne glasses are vibrating. You know, yeah, huge and fluffy that cat. Does the cat have a name? Felicia, darling. Felicia, darling. Felicia, darling. It was so weird. It's like rolls of fat all over. Oh, it, it it's, looks it's like beautiful. And what what a great demise. Yeah, it's I mean, so if you're gonna great. go, <laughs> if you're gonna go. You had better mistakenly jump into a dog pound with no way to get back up. <laughs> so, so victorious. And I'm a cat lover and I like that. I know. So how, how did Radigan come to own such a beast? You know, he is the world's greatest criminal mind. So of course, only the best work for him. Unless it's I like he's, as well. it's like he's Davy Jones and that's his Kraken. Ooh, it <laughs> totally. Is. You know? <laughs> Well, it's funny how they kind of take the cat side of being the evil, because obviously the dog is going to be the, you know, saving grace over here with Toby. I love Toby, by the way. But, um, Toby. Sit, Toby. Um, <laughs> I say that all the time. Um, but yeah, so I, I always was bugged by that because I'm a cat lover as well. Once again, I don't like mice and therefore cats are cool. Um, but, yeah, I was like, why are you putting the cat as the evil? No, cats are not evil. But then there's people out there who are like, no, cats are evil. I'm like, whatever. You're just jealous because I'm fluffy. Well, they're, they're, I'm just drawn that way. Uh, <laughs> well, there are bad kitties like, uh, like, Rusefy. you know, from uh, Cinderella. And uh, they're, they're good cats as well. Yeah. Yeah. Marie, Duchess, kitten. Oh. Duchess and kittens are in trouble. <laughs> So he's the catnapper. Well, my question really comes down to like, okay, everybody is watching this happen to <laughs> poor, public execution. Yeah, this public <laughs> execution. How did he get these people to sign up in the first place? See, this is where I come with the whole spike the drink thing because there's no way that that's going to work out. Well, I don't know. Well, he has a ton of jewels. So he, he maybe he gives a cut to his gang. Yes, and, and that's and that's why still gonna, he does have a big pot of jewels. But like, is that still gonna be the only reason you stick around? I mean, I mean, there is they, the whole mindset of like, I am going to be with the guy who wins, and they're just hoping that he wins. But then at the same time, they're like, I just hope I'm not on your bad side at the same time. So yeah. stay away from Felicia. But you know, maybe he'll take me with him at the end. I don't well, know. just just don't say the one word that you're not supposed to say. Hold your liquor like all the other bad guys in Radigan's pad, then you're not going to have that problem. But old Bartholomew, he was a wine bibber, as they say, <laughs> and and um and he goes and goes and runs his mouth. And my gosh, that should be a lesson for you kids. Yes. Don't drink and insult your boss. <laughs> oh, stay away from Christmas parties. There's been way too many bad things that happen at Christmas parties. <laughs> I just think of the office. <laughs> so at this point in time, they're like, ah, two Tobys. Who is Toby? And obviously this is where they actually go to Sherlock Holmes's house. And what's funny, I don't, 
I never really paid attention to what he said here because it was always a lot of big words that I was like, I don't know what they mean. Hey, that's Sherlock for you. <laughs> I know. But I listened to it very specifically this time, and he said, I observe that there is a good deal of German music on the program. It is very introspective, and I want to introspect. Oh, Holmes, that music is so frightfully dull. I love that part. <laughs> Watson talks like that. He yes. does. So cute. Oh, Holmes, that they're... music is so frightfully dull. <laughs> oh, they're like an old married couple. Though. It is. One of my favorite parts in like Disney and animated movies are those backside conversations that you're not really supposed to hear, but if you're paying attention, they're pretty darn funny. How about yeah. science slumber that parties? Of, no, no, not that one. <laughs> that one's it's one that you're supposed to listen to. Well, yeah. But the the other one from that movie where she's like, and then the AC is going to be out, and I think the place is going to be like a sauna. So I'm like, use it. So I think my theme's going to be Powerline Ghost Rainforest. Too much? <laughs> you miss the whole first part of that conversation, but. <laughs> yeah, it's, but you don't need it. It's that's, great. that's the humor of it. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And then we meet Toby. I like how dogs have just as much justification for eating and killing mice as cats, but for some reason they're, like, allied with mice in all these movies. <laughs> who who wrote that law? Is that, like, a Darwin thing? Do they get that from a Darwin book? Well, I think just because mice are obviously, a, you know, enemies to the cat. Yeah, I think... The- so enemy of my enemy is my friend? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay, okay. But anyway, Toby's a good dog. Sit, Toby. <laughs> it never gets old. Um, I just, that, the two of them together, so cute. Yeah, yeah. And Toby's big. Like, that's like his, like, funny gag, you know? Mm-hmm. Big. I love, nice. I love when you meet them. Yeah, they have, like, you look up and you get, it's the exact same point of reference as when you met Felicia. But in this sense, like, Toby's so happy and playful and big old grin on his face. And his <laughs> nose takes up, like, 70% of the screen. Exactly. <laughs> I do like the different perspectives that they use in this part. especially, And then another one when they're, like, looking up at the different dolls and everything. Like, oh, man. Well, they're going to need a, a good friend of a dog because they're they're going into the creepiest part of the movie, in my opinion, <laughs> which is the toy shop. Like, you get all these evil-looking dolls, and the way the animators drew them is so creepy. And then mm-hmm. there's there's this crate, there's this mo- Ugh. It's so, like, horror film. Like, Olivia, like, hears the little baby carriage, so she looks around, and all she sees is the back of it rocking. And it's like, it's like that scene in a scary movie where the whole audience is going, Don't do it! Don't go over there! Run away while you still can! Call the cops or something! But she keeps going, and turns around, and then Fidget, like, pops out, you know? Scary. Yes, totally scary. I think this movie was one of those that I had a problems watching, even though I loved it so much. Like, that part and also the very end where Radigan turns into the rat, like, they were almost too scary for me. And I was very sensitive as a young child, and so it was like one of those things, like, fast forward, it's too scary. Even today, I, I would rather fast forward through some things. <laughs> but, yeah, they do a really good job at that. And, I mean, it's really cool to think that all of this was in a kid's movie. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I'm happy about that. Well, there's a couple of moments. Like what? In the, in the film, that, that's probably not, in a, probably not appropriate. Um, okay, so they get out, they get out of the toy shop. Of course, Fidget has stolen Olivia, and then they find out where they're supposed to go, because there's like clues and stuff, and they, they, they do some, you know, deducing or whatever detectives do. And they need to go to this pub, right? Am I the, okay, the pub, am I the only one who has a problem with, like, the Hoochie Mama mouse dancer lady? 
she's Zola. I liked it when I was little. <laughs> I loved Have you that listened one. to those lyrics? <laughs> totally. Like the thing is, I I loved this song when I was little. It was like my one of my favorite parts of the movie because I thought it was such a cool song and it was the cool, cute girl mouse. And you know, being a girl, you're always drawn to the girl character. And like, I know she was supposed to be like the sexy hoochie mama babe, but I was like, meh. It like never bothered me. Like in my mind, I understood the difference between like what was good and what was bad, you know, like the fact that these, the fact that they're drinking, you know, it will never bother me. Like, oh, they're drinking oh, yeah. beer. It, it was like, yeah, adults drink beer and they're drinking beer here. Like, cool, whatever. But so cool. I don't know. It never bothered me. This scene, I don't, I guess I turned out all right. <laughs> well, I guess I, you did. No, I liked this one too, because it had more of the, like the show tunes, the show tunes vibe to it, which, okay. you know, yeah, it was just, you feel better about it. <laughs> It does. And I am not ashamed to admit that this is actually on the list of songs that I would love to cover one day. (laughs) (laughs) Right, all right. Along with uh, I Won't Say I'm In Love. Yeah, that one would be good, too. I like that one. But, like, this... Your voice is exactly like Meg. Oh, I thank you. I don't know. I thought this song was... It was just good. It's like you you knew the setting that it was supposed to be, that, you know, at these bars... They set it up very well. They have these gags, and like I always felt bad for the octopus that got booed off screen, and then like the toad. They're so racist. (laughs) And then the toad who's juggling, and like they don't even give him two seconds. But they just kind of sort of set it up. It's like that's not what these guys want. The guys want girls. Bring them the girls. It's like some people are throwing vegetables. Other mice are throwing like throwing knives knives at them. Great. I like that part. And and I do miss the good old days when Disney characters could like get wasted <laughs> on on beer or whatever. Totally. I I don't know. I feel like they shouldn't back away from that. I know like I don't feel like movies should have like a, a moral high ground. I know people are like, "Oh, well, you know, you got to the parents aren't going to teach them, so we got to not put in our movies because then people will think smoking and drinking is cool." Like, oh. I don't know. I saw smoking in movies, and I saw drinking in movies, and it never made me, you know, want to turn into totally sloshed whatever. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, I feel like it really does a good job at portraying that these are the low-life ruffians, you know, that these, these aren't the people that you want to be. Exactly. Except for the singer, because I, I still want to be her. But <laughs> Well, it does, it does teach you one valuable lesson. Like, don't, don't party at places like this pub because someone's gonna slip you a Mickey, as, as Lucy and Ethel would say. That is so true. That is one thing that I learned from this movie, which I don't think I would have been, you know, wouldn't have been brought to my attention, is that sometimes you could go places and people can try and drug your drink. So watch your drink and be careful where you go. But yeah, it's like, it's like a real danger, you know? So this is, this is a good moral. This is a good moral. These are things to learn, people. Yeah. Well, okay, so we get past, past the hoochie mama. They find the secret compartment. And, uh, okay, Fidget is just a creep. <laughs> because they walk up to the bottle. They can hear like, a little girl crying, curled up. And it's like, surprise, it's me again. Like, that's the third time he's done that. It's not even funny anymore. He's just, like, this guy just enjoys disguising himself as innocent people and then freaking everyone out. Ugh. Yeah. Can I put in a sound editor moment? Yes. I always squirm when they shove her into the bottle and then she starts screaming. Just the way it's edited, it just like, it starts making my like nose hair tingle. Like, is, is that weird? TMI. <laughs> like, no, you don't want to hear about your nose hairs. <laughs> like, it's just something in the front of my face. I just can't, it just, 
oh, sends shivers in my back. I can't take doesn't it. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I, I yeah. can't remember it bothering me, but I'll I'll, t- I'll take a look at it again and see if it bothers me. Look at it again and just see if you like, because it does. They definitely do something to make it look, sound like she's in a bottle, stuck in a bottle. Um, but. Yeah, it's just the way they, like, cut the EQ or something. I don't know. It's just, like, ooh, sends you the hibby-jibbies. The hibby-jibbies. All right. And so um, it, it's all a trap. It's all a trap. Radigan's like, oh, you pathetic fool, you know, and uh, and all that stuff. And uh, his disguise, you know, he makes it down to making fun of his disguise. He totally destroys um, Basil. It's so sad, you know, Basil just kind of, there's a moment when he's resisting all the ridicule, and then he just kind of realizes, yeah, I did really get fooled, and I I am making a butt of myself, and he just kind of collapses. You know, he's defeated. And Radigan, the, the scene fades out with Radigan still pointing and laughing at him. Oh, it's so bad. So they tie him up, and he's got his, like, well, he, he he's going to kill them, but not before, in typical villain style, he monologues about what he's planning on doing. You caught me monologuing. <laughs> oh, this is just too good. And I, but he I, didn't I, do a full monologue, though, which made me happy. That's true. That's true. He let the song finish the monologue. I love the, the plot device of not revealing what Radigan's up to until the end of the second act. I don't know what I like it, why I like it. Maybe it's just an industrial revolution kind of steampunk thing, but the plot to replace the Queen of England with a robot queen who will transfer, <laughs> transfer all authority to Radigan. It's just, at this point, just drink the flavor aid, you know? <laughs> just smoke what they're rolling, okay? Because it's just so silly, but I, I do like it. I don't know why. But I do like how they didn't reveal the plot until the end because it gives it a real mystery vibe, you know, Mystery in the Mists, which I think is the dumbest title for a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got a a mouse trap and a revolver and a crossbow and an anvil and and an anvil. He's got about four things that are supposed to kill them. I'm like, gosh, what a mess! I feel sorry for the janitors. Um, and then a photo of it, of all things, all while we're playing this really cheesy farewell song, "Nice Knowing You" song by Vincent Price, which is just. The, the best the form of mockery. <laughs> the words on that are hilarious. It really is. And it goes on forever. He keeps finding more creative ways to say goodbye, sucker, <laughs> I know. on this song. And at this point, you you get the genius moment. Like, okay, of course you need Dawson. Heaven bless me. He get he snaps Basil out of it by triggering his, his logic. And you get this crazy scene where he's just, like, calculating everything. You know, the, the square root of the pi of an isosceles triangle, you know, with the degree of blah, 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 blah. He's like, Dawson, I, I've got it. You must release the pin at precisely the moment I tell you. You know, such a great moment. And then, and then snap, boom, bam, 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 bam. They get out. He lands, grabs his hat, grabs him. Smile, everyone. Love that quote. I, I, I really like that moment. And it's like, all right, Basil's back in the game and he's going to outsmart Rat again. I, I love the turnaround moments. You know, because mm-hmm. this one's a lot more victorious because it's not like, well, you lied to everyone. And now you've got to humbly redeem yourself by saving the day, Aladdin, Mulan and every other Disney protagonist. <laughs> but this one's more like it's his typical Basil bipolarism. You know, he's like super down. And then that one thing tips him off and then boom, he's back and he just pulls off this amazing escape. And there's just so much energy. I, I do like the pacing of, of this sequence. Genius. Well, and then when they finally go to, you know, the Queen's Royal Jubilee and that whole scene and then to skip to the part that we all love, the clock tower. I, the moment when he like wakes up, 
he's on the gears and it starts to spin and, and all of a sudden Ratigan comes into view as it spins around. It's like, oh, that's so good. You know, that was the first uh, CG animated sequence in an animated film, I think. Yeah, the, gear, the gears are CG. Well, yeah. no, it is not. What? This is a common misconception. The gears were designed using wireframes in the computer, but then they were traced. Oh, they were rotoscopes. Paper. They were rotoscopes, basically, onto the paper. So they used right. the, they designed it as a computer and everything was in the computer, but it's not actually the actual computer image on the final frame. They traced that model and then that shape and that movement and that animation and made it, inked and painted it. Well, that's really innovative, but you know what? Richard Williams did it without CG. <laughs> Just oh, saying. No. <laughs> That's this is true. Yes, he did. Hey, hey, you know, when you're right, you're right. Yeah, the showdown with Radigan is great. Radigan, you know, shows him his final form, you know. It's great. Uh, the beastliness. He evolved. He's crazy. Yeah, he evolved into Raticate. And his hair gets like, all matted and nasty. He learns, uh, he learns Super Fang, Leer, Fury Swipes, and Slash. <laughs> Critical hit! Like, he's just as beastly as the grizzly bear at the end of Fox and the Hound. Just like this huge, mm. hulking mass of fur. Well, didn't Glenn Keane do both of those? I don't know who... who uh, great mouse detective, supervising animator for Professor Radigan. Yeah. Supervising oh. animator on the bear. Okay, so he knows how to animate giant, dangerous, furry creatures. That he does. Yep. I was watching a documentary of him where he basically just... While he was getting ready to do the beast... He just like spent like a couple of months hanging out at the zoo <laughs> watching With all the these. rats. <laughs> yeah. But I mean he this is something that he's been he's been practicing. So that all led up to the beast and you know, it was just so great to see the evolution of your talents, Glenn. Yeah, no kidding. I wonder if Glenn King ever listens to our podcast. That would be, would be cool. a no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Maybe just one. Oh, there was one really cool a guy that's been listening to us. His name is Tom Brankoff. He was the lead animator of Mushu in Mulan, and oh. his twin brother was actually the co-director of the same movie as well. Um, oh, director actually, Mulan. Yeah. I was actually just talking to him this last week uh, because he's putting on – he's actually in Nashville – and he's putting on an animators training convention here in October on the 24th and 25th um, over at Lipscomb University, which is like right next to my work. So I'm like, woohoo. Oh, but yeah, yeah, I know. So as I was talking to him, like when he also has a podcast too with his brother um, called the Bankoff Brothers Animation Podcast, um, oh, definitely sweet. shout out to them. But also, if you, if anybody out there is interested in going to their website, they've put together a lot of really cool things. Um, one is the website taughtbyapro.com, which basically has a lot of tutorials from 2D animation greats. And they've got courses on drawing animated women, animating dialogue, squash and stretch. And at this convention that they're having, they're actually bringing in Ruben Aquino, who did Simba and Ursula. And also Claire Keen, who does concept art for Tangled and Frozen. Dude. Yeah. You should totally come out, Mason. Well, I should. Just saying. <laughs> but if anybody out there is interested in going to that, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash pro weekend 2014 and get all the information on it. But also check out their website because it's really cool. I mean, they've each one of these people that they're bringing in will t do segments on how to animate this or how to animate this. And so I'm, I'm going mostly just because I'm like, 
hey, why miss out on a big animation thing that happens to be right here? And even though I'm not an artist, but hey, it'll be great. So look for me if you end up going, because that'll be awesome. She'll be wearing her t-shirt. I will be wearing my t-shirt. Oh, brilliant. A little guerrilla marketing. <laughs> and handing out stickers, because she's awesome like that. I am awesome. Cool. Okay, so let's, let's wrap this up. You know, so there's the big epic battle. There's there's lots of things. There's the cogs, and then it, it transfers outside with the pedaling dirigible, I guess, that you would... Well, yeah, any character with a dirigible, a blimp, a blimp, has, uh, is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. People who have blimps are cool. Well, and then you think, oh, it's over. You know, they both died, but Basil sacrificed himself, and then next thing you know... <laughs> yeah. So he comes out ahead. Saves the day, saves the queen, saves the kingdom, and then uh, saves the father. You know, it's a good day. Reunited the family. So Radigan joins one of the many Disney villains who died by falling. Mm-hmm. It was an okay death. It wasn't any... I'd, it'd be more ironic if he got eaten by his own cat. The, oh, yeah. Well, Basil does ring the bell, you know, ironically, in Radigan's face. But also, Basil falls first, and he has his victory. He's, like, laughing maniacally yeah. and hopping around. And then Basil's not, he hasn't fallen, and uh, the clock strikes, and that's when they fall. So there, there is that cool, like, oh, no moment, you know, when Radigan's won, but then, then he doesn't. That was a, a good payoff for me, but not too awesome a villain. And then at the very right. end, they set it up for a sequel with the sniffling damsel in <laughs> distress. Don't... I don't believe her act for a second. You think she's a bad guy? She's the culprit, and she is trying to seduce Vassal because there is another villain who wants to get the better of him. Oh, so she's, she's like a the man. serpent. Yeah, she is. Hades' rat is coming for him. But yeah, ugh, there's so many angles you could go with the sequel. This is the one movie where I'm like, I would love a sequel. Yeah, it's like the one Disney movie where I'm like, I would like to know more, you know, <laughs> Basil of Baker Street, well, they, A Game of Shadows. Yeah, they purposely <laughs> left it open-ended, you know, with that. Which normally most movies wouldn't. They'd tie it all off in a happy bow. And this one's sort of just, you know, they put that there to let you know that the two are now a pair. They're a duo, duo and they're going to be fighting crime and solving mysteries from here on out. And here's their first gig <laughs> yeah their first gig together it's like psych you know mm-hmm. i don't know we should leave it up to our listeners like maybe when we post about it on facebook our listeners can write a synopsis of what they think the sequel should be Ooh, yeah better better yet someone should write a fanfic and i'll uh i'll do my voice i'll do my <laughs> voices for it if you do the voices for it we'll put it on the rotoscopers youtube hey as long as we keep it appropriate i'm, I'm up for it yeah okay you know so you heard it are. Here first, go to rotoscopers.com slash 77 and put your thoughts on what you think the, you know, Great Mouse Detective sequel should be. So would you guys change anything in this movie? Not really. Clean up the, clean up the pub scene. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't think I would change anything either. I felt like they did a really good job with the theme and the premise And, like, they just had really good tension that kind of, like, kept you engaged. And they also had a little bit of fun in there as well. And, I mean, such a great villain. Vincent Price is so great. Vincent Um, Price. Yeah, the voice acting just was spot on. I think with all of the characters, I mean, I loved Olivia, I loved everyone. Um, they all had, and, and also like the fact that all, like all of their personalities were so clearly defined. And by the end, I really did feel like I knew who they were. And 
I mean, I I guess one thing is like you could say that Basil it doesn't really have any any depth to him. You don't really learn anything about him other than the fact that he just wants to beat Redigan. But that's really not the point of the story. I think it's. I mean, it's really more about the people that he helps, and you really end up caring more about them than you do him. You just like the antics that he gets into trying to help them. Um, but I just I think it was really good. And for me, um, I'm going to rate this a good solid four stars. I also am going to rate this four stars. This movie is classic. You know, it's no wonder that this is kind of one of the ones that's considered to be the beginnings of the Disney Renaissance. Not quite the Disney Renaissance, but it started pointing the ship in the right direction. It's just, it's fun. It's different than other movies that Disney had done at the time. It's a sort of mystery whodunit and... um, I really like the characters that are introduced. They're, they, you know, obviously there are parallels with Sherlock Holmes and Watson and whatnot. Are, they're fun. They do a great job with it instead of making it just seem like they're just copying Sherlock Holmes. And it, this was before, you know, Disney songs were the norm. There, but there are a few little catchy tunes in there, which I like. And, um, the villain, he's a great villain. The same day that this podcast comes out, we're doing our villain vignettes series every oh, day. Yes. Every day in October, we're releasing just a different profile about an animated villain. And Radigan is going to be released the day this podcast comes out. So the, that link will be in the oh, show sweet. notes. Yeah. Um, but he's really complex because he's just so good and he's goofy and over the top and he knows it, but he's still better than Vassal, which I love. So anyways, yeah, for those reasons, yeah. four stars. Excellent, excellent. All right. Uh, don't hate me. I'm going to give this movie three and a half stars. Hate. No, this, <laughs> this is why. All my hate goes to you right now. This, this is why. Uh, I'm thinking of like other Disney classics, like, I don't know, Peter Pan comes to mind. I would give that movie four stars. I do not consider The Great Mouse Detective better than Peter Pan. Therefore, I'm giving it three and a half stars. Good logic. You know what? Do you know what I'm coming from? Okay. I hear you. I don't think it's very pretty technically, but I, I do love the entertainment value of, of course, the Vincent Priceness of Vincent Price, and uh, I do I do like Basil and Dawson and Olivia. Uh, I don't care for Fidget, but uh, I mean overall, this was a good film. Like three and a half stars doesn't mean it was a bad film. I'm just trying to be level headed about it, I guess. So shall we do the voicemails? Let's do it. <clears throat> and now. As you were singing, keep it louder. We'll shout it. No one can doubt what we know you can do. You're more evil than he, and you are radiant. You're radiant. Hi, Rotoscopers. This is Dustin from Sacramento, California. I'm a second-year animation student, and um, I just want to say how much I appreciate your podcast. I really love listening to you guys and learning more about my favorite animated movies and hearing your discussions on it. I heard you were doing The Great Mouse Detective, and so I went out of my way to watch the movie. I haven't seen this movie before until today. And I can't believe that because it's such a good movie. Can't believe uh, it I really love the animation. It's so beautiful. Um, Glenn Keane does some amazing work in it. I really loved all the Sherlock stuff when he first says, Elementary, my dear Dawson. I thought it was so funny. I love all the character designs, especially Radigan's really stood out to me. I love Basil's physicalities and the way he moves, the way he's animated. 
my favorite quote from the movie is from Fidget when he says, Ow, my foot, my only foot. I felt kind of bad for him. He was one of the funnier characters and I really liked him. Not to mention, there's an increasingly sexual song um, a little more than halfway through the movie called Let Me Be Good to You when they're in the bar and the lady's dancing to it. A little bit inappropriate for a kid's movie, but I loved it and thought it was hilarious. So I thought this movie was really good, and I am on a two-minute time limit, it looks like, so I have to go. But I love you guys and hope to hear more from you soon. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Have a good night. Bye. Thanks, Dustin. That was really nice of you. Yeah, I love that Dustin hadn't seen the movie before, and his his reaction was genuine and real, and it was just that this was a good movie. And I think it is. It's one of the ones that set Disney back on its path, and there's so many elements of this movie that just make it good, like we've talked about, that it's sort of a suspense movie and a mystery and a crime fighter movie, and it's just, ah, it's good. All right, next we're listening to Dylan. Hey, Rotoscopers. This is Dylan Mentis, and I'm really glad that you're reviewing The Green Mouse Detective. The first time that I ever heard about this movie was while watching the documentary Waking Sleeping Beauty, where they had the whole Basil of Baker Street debacle. I'm not sure Basil of Baker Street is better than The Great Mouse Detective. I mean, I didn't really know what a Basil was until I watched the movie, but now I get it, Disney. Now I get it. After that, I bought the DVD, and I gotta say that I fell in love with this movie. I pop it in every couple weeks, and it gets better and better with each viewing. I love the animation, and I love how you can see that this is the start of what will one day be the Disney renaissance. I love Vincent Price's Radigan. I really do think that's an awesome voice pairing with that character, and I think he's kind of underrated as a Disney villain. Probably the most iconic scene for me in the whole movie would be Basil waking up on those clock gears, and I'm guessing is a combination of 2D and computer animation, I'm not sure, but it creates this really dynamic shot of him looking up and around him, and it's always the shot that remains in my head whenever I hear the name of the movie. I'm really excited that you guys are doing a Mice and Rat series, because I feel like that holds some of animation's best movies, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think of them. Thank you. Bye. Mystery in the Mist edition. What? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's the stupidest name for a DVD and then future Blu-ray release. The Mystery in the Mist edition. No. There was no Mystery in the Mist. I, I mean, I guess when you know, Mr. Flavisham was stolen, it was misty, kind of. But no. The word mist was never used in this movie, which makes no sense. It's like, I can't imagine, like, the, the consumer products team that was trying to create this. Like, what should we name it? I know. <laughs> the mystery in the mist, because this is a mystery movie, and there, it's kind of misty. Uh, no. Just no. Oh, my gosh. No, that was so funny. And, yes, I love that shot where he wakes up right there. That was so great. Thanks for calling in, Dylan. The next one is from J.K. Rigi. I remember sitting in a theater watching The Great Mouse Detective, and when Basil chased Radigan through that clock, I was totally hooked. I knew at that moment that I wanted to do animation, and I didn't even really know what animation was at the time, but that convinced me. That scene will always be in my memory. And so while it may not be the greatest Disney film ever made, uh, the Great Mouse Detective will always hold a very special place in my heart. Awesome. I love hearing people's initial reactions to seeing movies or memories. And 
especially those moments when people decide, I want to do that. Whatever that is, I want to do it. I want to go into animation. I love how it's mice and rats that bring people to art. Yeah, that is the Disney way, is it not? <laughs> it is. All right, our last email is from Michael. Hi, gang. It's Michael from the middle of nowhere, a.k.a. Chicago, just to give a few thoughts on Basil at Baker Street. Uh, when Basil first came out, I was only five years old, but I didn't see it in theaters at the time. I do remember seeing the previews in theaters, but it wasn't until it came out on VHS that I finally saw it. And it definitely feels like that early 80s spirit of animation where you could go dark, you could scare the kitties, and you could actually put a little more oomph into your story than you could a little later or so. Um, the story, I will admit, isn't like groundbreaking, but I always saw it as a great breath of fresh air after the Black Cauldron to show that you know the spirit of Disney was alive and well, and that you know they could do greater stuff, which eventually, over the course of the next decade, they did. Um, the characters are definitely an interesting batch, and I always kind of compared Basil with Darkwing Duck because both are detectives and both are kind of a little bit of jerks in how they try to go about evidence and how they seem to not really care at times about the feelings of others. I guess it sounds a little harsh, but I, I don't mean it to be harsh. And, of course, you know, you have the great caring nature of Dr. Dawson to offset Basil and also act as kind of like the surrogate to Olivia after her father is taken. And, of course, like many out there, I, too, am enthralled by Vincent Price's voice and Glenn Keane's supervising animation on Radigan. Radigan is a very interesting character regarding who he is, and I love that Jekyll and Hyde persona where he's trying to go against the opposite of who he is, and then, of course, at the very end, he can't control it when, when his adversary almost gets the better of him. And, oh, I guess in the end, I will have to say Great Mouse Detective is... I want to say it's a it's a great film that definitely showed us all that Disney was still alive and well at the time, and it's still something I enjoy even today. So, farewell, goodbye for now. I totally agree, Michael. Totally agree. Glenn King did such a great job with this. All right, we are moving into our mailbag. The first one is from old reliable Joshua K. Says, hi, Rotoscopers. I saw this movie, I think, sometimes last year, and it was enjoyable. I love the idea of a mouse living under Sherlock Holmes' home. And I love the villain, because he's a rat and pretending not to be. With this movie before the likes of The Little Mermaid, speaking of which, it has the same directors of The Little Mermaid and Aladdin. Also, this movie came out in 1986, the year of Pixar's founding, and it also had some of the first Disney CG animation. Now for my rating. I give it four out of five stars. I also have a question for you guys. Have you seen Wander Over Yonder, a cartoon from Disney from the same guy who made Powerpuff Girls? Anyway, that's all I have to say about this movie. I'm out. You guys rock. Goodbye so soon. Joshua K. <laughs> I, like, I like your voice there, Morgan. <laughs> I've never seen Wander Over Yonder. I, I should probably look that one up. I have not either. I feel pretty lame right now. I know. Thanks, Joshua. Our next email is from Chrissy. Hi, Rotoscopers. Chrissy here. I discovered your podcast right before you released your Frozen episode, and I have been hooked ever since. I love listening to your discussions of animated movies, your opinions of them, and all the trivia you have to share. I just listened to your All Dogs Go to Heaven podcast, and while you were naming off all the animated dogs, I think you forgot Pluto, but I may have missed it. I thought of one you didn't mention, Treasure Planet's Dr. Delbert Doppler. This was the movie that really got me into animation and drawing, and even now, it's still one of my favorites. It would be great if you guys could do a Treasure Planet episode. 
even though you get a lot of suggestions, just thought I'd shout it out. Love what you guys do. Looking forward to all your future podcasts and more. Chrissy. Ah, so another um, another throwback to our dog series and dogs that we missed. We we did actually not mention Pluto, and we didn't mention uh, Dr. Doppler from Treasure Planet. And Treasure Planet is actually one of those movies that's very highly suggested and recommended that we do. And he's a really cool character. And she mentions that this is one movie that really got her into animation and drawing. And I actually know this movie to be instrumental for quite a few people, even though it is not one of the more traditionally popular movies. It it really is creative and inspiring that I know a lot of people um, were inspired by it. Well, at some point in time when we do it, this will actually be the first time I've ever seen it, too. Ooh. Maybe in our space series. Yes. <laughs> is that on? Space is that on? <laughs> we yes. could do Treasure Planet. We could do yes. Titan AE. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure there's others I'm missing. Yeah. Where people are yelling at the, I know. At the <laughs> podcast. We hear you. No, we don't. Go email them to us. <laughs> our next email is from Kate. She says, hi, Morgan, Chelsea, and Mason. Longtime listener, first time writer. My name is Kate. I am from Australia studying creative writing at university, and I'm loving the podcast. I thought you would send in my thoughts for Quest for Camelot, because as a kid, I loved this movie. It came out when I was four years old, and my sisters and I couldn't get enough of it. I hadn't seen it for many years, and I'm still hesitant to, because I know that it won't live up to my childhood image of it. I remember we actually thought it was a sequel to Disney's Sword in the Stone. Looking back, I can't believe it. We love the two-headed dragon and their song, If I Didn't Have You, so much that we recently looked it up on YouTube and were so sad that it wasn't as good as we remembered. I agree that the premise had so much potential, and it's disappointing to look back on it now because it could have been something really special. I like Kaylee as a strong female character. It was great growing up with a strong woman to look up to, but I feel she's a poor man's Mulan. I definitely have some nostalgia for this movie, but it's not not the hilarious masterpiece I thought it was when I was young. Thanks for all the hard work you do. Many regards, Kate. P.S. Shout out to the Australian listener who attends RMIT University in Melbourne, as I go there too. Small world. All right, Kate, thanks for sending your email. I think that's really funny that you thought this was sort of a, a sequel to Sword in the Stone. <laughs> so awesome. Some of the things that we think of when we're little is I know. pretty funny to look back on. Our next email is from Catherine. Hey guys, I'm a new listener of your podcast, and I must say I love it. I find it full of information and ab- absolutely hilarious. Since I only started listening recently, I have to share some of my thoughts on past podcasts. I listened to your Beauty and the Beast podcast, and I thought it was an eye-opener. A time vortex? I'd never thought so. But it would make sense, because he would had to have been 11 to get 10 years where everyone aged. 10 years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting. I love the idea and have found a picture of the Beast freaks out over Grumpy Cat Belle shredding up the rose. There are many other Disney movie stills with Grumpy Cat as the main character. They're pretty funny. Next, Rango. I absolutely love this movie, with its slightly lewd humor and fantastic animation. I think it's cleverly done and also find the animation much better than most animation now, even for its time. I do find the proportions of the animals to be out of whack, though with the chameleon able to fit into a small licorice package, chameleons are much larger than that packet, even one for humans. I'm sure that there are other examples, but I can't think of any now. Tintin. This is my favorite movie of all time. I absolutely agree about how usually this style of animation is weird. Polar Express, kill me now, please. But this is different. I've been a fan of Tintin since I was seven. I'm 14 now. 
ever since my father introduced me to the comics. Now I have a box set of the cartoons, and my brother owns the movie. I even had a temporary crush on Tintin, and act out stories in my head where I would come in. <laughs> Is that weird? I can't believe you didn't do this episode with Mason, as I thought he would love that sort of thing and give a chance to be all passionate on his soapbox. I highly suggest you do an episode on the Lego movie, as I think it is a clever movie that you need to have an attention span to understand the pure hilarity of it. The animation is also very good, too. Sorry for the long email, but I decided to cram it all in one mail. Thanks for helping me pull through my depression and never stop. Love, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine, for sending in your mini reviews of those movies. I love hearing people's thoughts on movies that we've previously done, especially things that we missed, because there are so many things that we miss in our discussions. Um, so I like hearing the other sides and, and just your guys' thoughts. Can you believe we've done so many episodes? Like, I thought about that today. This is 77. We've watched 77 movies. <laughs> Pretty good. Can you imagine if we did this weekly? Oh, my. Whoa. Actually, technically, we haven't watched 77 because there were, like, three or four interviews. Uh, interviews in there. But still, at least 70 movies. <gasps> Our next email is from Catherine. Hi guys, Catherine again. I wrote in a while ago when I first started listening to your review of Tintin. Writing at midnight again too, so sorry in advance. Ice Age. I was not old enough to be watching movies, so the first Ice Age movie I saw was was the third one. I was into dinosaurs. I enjoyed it a lot, with the hopeless scrat on the side falling in love with, spoilers, getting betrayed at the end. He appears a lot more in the films as well. I also really like Blue Sky, but will forever be a Disney girl. I think the studio did Horton Hears a Who very well, which I really liked. Now, Sleeping Beauty. I love this. It was the first actual Disney movie I saw, and will forever be a classic in my mind. Aurora is not a favorite character, hashtag Belle for life, but is beautiful and graceful, which I could learn from. Thanks for everything, Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much once again for that email. Um, yeah, as much as I love Sleeping Beauty, for whatever reason, I think Belle just gets my heart as well. So thank you. Our next email is from Moon Disney Power. Dear Rotoscopers, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and visit your website frequently. I recently celebrated my 17th birthday, aka a year since I started listening to you guys, at Disney World and had the most awesome time of my life. I loved your 101 Dalmatians episode, especially Morgan's rant on the trend of making iconic villains anti-heroes. I agree a thousand percent. As Cogworth says, if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. Your discussion on animated henchmen was great, too, except for one thing. How could you forget Fidget from The Great Mouse Detective? I thought Fidget was a pretty good, competent henchman. He used to scare me as a kid, mainly because at the very beginning of the movie when he kidnaps Olivia's father. So my suggestion for a nerdy couch discussion, Disney princes. I know you recently talked about Tarzan, and in my opinion, I think Dis I think Tarzan should be a Disney prince. Anyway, great job on the podcast, website, and YouTube. I look forward to every future episode you come up with. Thanks for reading my email, and best of luck to you. Moon Disney Power. So, thank you first for liking my my rant. I love when I go on my rants. I'm glad other people do too. Instead of saying "ugh, skip," and um, I think it's I can't believe we did forget Fidget from the Great Mouse Talk Detective when we were talking about our animated henchmen. One thing is we went into that discussion a little unprepared. Uh, sometimes we have a big list that we've come up with, and that one we just kind of were doing it off the top of our head. So obviously there were a lot of uh, sidekicks that got missed, but luckily we get. We got to talk about him in today's episode. Then you mentioned Tarzan, and I think that's actually a really good nerdy couch discussion that we could do in a future episode, is Disney heroes and princes and, and whether we would define um, you know Tarzan specifically as a prince or not. 
Okay, I'm going to do the next couple ones. Um, this next one is actually from one of my favorite listeners ever because she gives fantastic voicemails. Um, this is from Gemma Clark. I really wish that she had sent this one in a voicemail too because I love hearing her voice. Um, but um, just for fun, I'm going to see if I can do my very best Gemma impression. To Morgan, Chelsea, and Mason, you're still doing a great job with the podcast. These past episodes have been really entertaining. It's been nice to hear all three of you on the episodes having lots of fun. This year, I've been kind of bad at seeing every film you've covered. There's been about six that I haven't seen, but I thought I would listen to a couple of the episodes of the films I haven't seen anyway. One of them was Chelsea and Morgan's A Monster in Paris episode. And now I really want to watch the film, hearing that you guys liked it a lot. And once I've watched it, I might do a cover of Lesson for you. I might not. We'll see. Thank you again, Gemma. Gemma, thank you so much for your email. You always make my day. Seriously. I have one of your old voicemails on my computer just because it makes my day anytime. And that's what it's, that's seriously what it is saved as. Gemma will make your day. When I was in London, I had two goals and unfortunately I was not able to do either of them. The first one was to go to Ardman Animation Studios in Bristol, but unfortunately they do not give tours. Lame. And then the second one was I was wanting to meet Gemma because Gemma's awesome. That's what's so great about hearing you guys' voicemails. So make sure to send voicemails because we, you know, we get to know you a little bit better. Um, next time, Gemma, next time, totally going to meet up. Konbawa, rotoscopers. I hear your next film review is The Great Mouse Detective. So here are my two cents. I didn't like it. I found the character designs to be uninspired, the animation to be shoddy, and the voice acting to be grating even with the legendary Vincent Price as Radigan. When I read the other names on the credit list, I was appalled. The film is less than 90 minutes long, but it feels endless. The worst bit of all is the awkward clock tower fight at the end. Who knew Ron Clements and John Musker could put out something so cheap looking? If you want to see truly breathtaking brawl within a giant clock, then please watch Hayao Miyazaki's 1979 masterpiece, The Castle of Cagliostro. Considered as a whole, this movie seems like something that would appear on the Disney afternoon, not a full-fledged animated feature. Regardless of what Disney says, this movie is not a classic. Basil of Baker Street? More like Basil of Baker Shiitake Mushrooms? Cheers. Patrick! <laughs> Dang, Patrick! You... Wow, that was kind of harsh. But hey, you know what? I can tell that you are a Japanese animation fanatic just by your greeting of Kombawa in the beginning. And you know what? We can totally get behind that. And the fact that you know, you are passionate about what you love. Thanks for writing in. Next time we do a Miyazaki film, make sure to send us your voicemail. Goodbye so soon. And isn't this a crime? We know by now the time knows how to fly. So Morgan, goodbye. thank you for having us do this episode of The Great Mouse Detective. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You are welcome. Wow, I feel like I'm in charge. Like I, <laughs> It was my well, pleasure to invite you two to join <laughs> the show. <laughs> For sure. You're never on the show, right? <laughs> right, never, ever. No, but this um, was actually a really good episode to start off our Mice and Rats series. I'm loving these series that we're doing. They're just so fun that we can just focus on a theme and then see how different studios and movies 
you know, handle those characters or that topic, you know, whether it's cats, dogs, or now mice, uh, or a rat, or maybe you're a rat that pretends you're a mouse. Whatever it is, I like it. Well, and I think I'm really excited about this series specifically just because there's so many fantastic movies and a couple not so fantastic. (laughs) But for whatever reason, the fans like hearing us squirm. But no, it's so I'm really excited because we've got a lot of really, really great episodes coming up, too. So stay tuned for that. Other than that, for any notes on this episode specifically, when you make sure to go to rotoscopers.com slash 77. And when you are on any social media, make sure to use the hashtag anim addicts. That's A-N-I-M-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. And also um, you can use this specific episode as anim addicts 77. Also, make sure to look us up on Hypable.com and Animated Views. Both of those are fantastic resources for all things um, Animated Views. has great news on animation as well as Hypable has a lot of news on a lot of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to us on iTunes, and we're also available on Stitcher Radio. So if you want to contact us and be a part of the show, send us an email at contact at rotoscopers.com. You can also send us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails with an S or call us at 406-646-6575. Don't forget our sponsors. We love when you use our affiliate links. It helps support the show so that way we can get better microphones and we can make the site better for you guys and just make the show all around better. Um, our first one is Amazon. If you're not using Amazon, you're crazy because Amazon's amazing. They have the lowest prices, free shipping if you have Prime, and you can buy all sorts of animation goodies, whether you're an animator and you're buying pencils and and different art supplies, or you're just an animation aficionado and you want to buy Blu-rays, DVDs, books, go to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon for all your animation needs. And of course, if you are into listening to things, which obviously you are because you're listening to this, you might be into listening to books on tape through audible.com. Hey, if tape was the original, (laughs) the original, like I, I have tapes. No, I don't. I don't have tapes anymore. It's just an audio MP3 that either syncs with your phone or your app, or you can just download it to your computer. But nonetheless, if you use our Audible uh, one-month trial, you get one book for free. It's 100% yours. It's not on tape. It's just a digital file that you can take <laughs> anywhere. You anywhere. don't need your old Walkman to listen to it. So you can <laughs> definitely go check that out. And we appreciate it when you do. Go to rotoscopers.com slash audible. And our favorite sponsor of the show is ourselves, which is the Rotoscoper store. We recently started... Uh, did a limited run printing of the Rotoscopers t-shirt and it's been so fun to see everybody get their shirts and post it on Instagram and Twitter and show it off. We still have a few left. So definitely if you're interested in showing your Roto pride and you know, if you, when we have a future meetup one day in California or Nashville or Texas, wherever, you know, you can wear your shirt and show it off and uh, we'll be wearing ours as well. So you can get that at rotoscopers.com slash store. I wear my shirt all the time. Awesome. Our next episode, people, drum roll, is going to be an American tale. This one I'm really super excited about. Yes, this one's awesome. This is a, we're mixing it up. We were going to possibly do Ratatouille, but that's going to come after this. So we want to kind of mix up the Disney Pixar films. Um, so we mix them up with some older, more retro stuff. We're, we're still stuck in the 80s. The 80s slash early 90s loved their mouse films. 
Um, so we're, you know, doing one Didn't... about a Jewish rat family, right? Are they Jewish? Are they Russian? The the Russian Jewish rat. Yes. Both. Or mouse. They're a mouse. The immigrant, the immigrant <laughs> ma- mouse family uh, that comes to America to start a new life. It was actually the movie that beat out the great mouse detective. Darn. <laughs> if you want to check us out on our individual locations, head on over to Twitter. We're all there. You can see Morgan at Morgan Straddling on Twitter. I'm Chelsea Robson. And we also have Mason at Mason SMTX. And so check us all out there. We also have Mason has his portfolio online if you're wanting to check that out. He's got some really cool stuff on there, actually. Um, not that I'm surprised at that, but it's really cool to get to see that. So MasonSmithPortfolio.com. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us for episode one of our Mice and Rat series. And until next time, we are the Roadsters. Recording now. Mm. So who wants? So you can record me slurping on my smoothie. The intro. I am drinking chamomile tea over here. Ooh, I'm drinking Nesquik. Nesquik? (laughs) Surprising. I've never had Nesquik before. Really? Yeah, there's something about that bunny. He's he's too much. (laughs) Well, he's he's a lot like that rabbit at the Mad Hatter's tea party. Mm. Yeah. You know. That that is a reason to avoid. (laughs) <laughs> to avoid at all costs. He's got like this like cockney accent. He's like, hey, it's rude shit at the table. And the Mad Hatter's like, yes, very rude indeed. Very rude. I'll put you in my fungin. Anyway. Uh, okay. I'll do the intro. I haven't done it in a while. Do it. <clears throat> I should do an Vincent Price voice. Uh, yes. Don't worry. There'll be plenty. Of, there'll be plenty of Vincent Price in this episode. Believe Someone me. said their favorite Rotoscopers moment was... Um, Brock Pearson's <laughs> appearance. <laughs> it's the Scare Games. <laughs> oh man, that was that was pretty funny. Stand by, we're getting more chat messages. You followed me, I followed you, and we get it and did it in the end. Uh, yeah, I need to learn the words. <laughs> yeah. Oh, rat again. Oh, rat again. Your tops, and that's that. That's very am- amiable. No, not amiable. Amicable. <laughs> oh, that's very... Am- am- ugh, just Amicable? Just, just take it. Whatever. <laughs> just take it. <laughs> I, like, I like Catherine's letter. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't do this episode with Mason. I thought he would have loved that sort of thing and gave a chance to get all passionate on his soapbox. <laughs> you know me too well. Warning, Chelsea hates mice. So long, farewell. I should really work on the words to these things.